All right. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Matthew Holbrook, and along with Dan Martin, I've had the privilege of leading the high school group for the past 15 or 16 years. Uh, Dan has been involved in leading the youth group for the last, I don't know, 80 or 90 years. Um, it's been a while. Um, and uh, our wives support us in that, and we also have the joy of serving alongside uh, several other people who help in the group, uh, with Kayla Murphy and Bethany Check and Brittany Livesey, Amy Lucas, um, Jared Hughes uh, is able to help us, and Matthew Ma and Scott uh, McMillan, and I am forgetting one person. Who did I leave out? Roger Mihai, yes. I knew I had eight, and I got seven of them. Um, so it is a privilege to, uh, to be able to serve with them and to be able to invest in the high schoolers' lives. It's a, it is a real joy to, uh, to do that. Um, for the high schoolers, a little deviation um, from what I've said at this point in previous, the previous services, um, you have heard uh, this message now twice today, and you've been a part of delivering the message twice today. Um, you have heard this message in various forms over the past several weeks in different ways, and uh, I just want to encourage especially the super seniors who, this is their last Sunday with us, to eat this message more than ever, uh, this service. I know it will be easy to um, tune that out possibly because you've heard this so many times by now, um, but as you depart from our high school group and go on to the rest of life, um, I want to encourage you to make the truth of this message that we are wanting to present today the anchor of your life as you go forward, and that it would just be something that would resonate and that you remember back to. So I will quiz you because you don't get rid of me um, with the anchored group, and I will be looking forward to asking you if you remember years from now your Youth Sunday and what uh, my hope and prayer is that would be the, the anchor of your lives going forward. So. Um, thank you all, the rest of you, for um, being patient to let me address them for a minute, but uh, I hope that as this overflows to the rest of you, that you would be encouraged as well. We are going to be looking at, as we start this morning, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and so uh, as you have a chance to find that, um, would you stand as we read it? We're going to start this morning by laying the foundation of the Christian walk. What does the heart and drive, ambition, purpose, direction, and motivation of a Christian look like? How has God constructed us and wired us to live this life? And we want to look at that here this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Lord, we do thank you that we can come and look at your word. God, thank you for how it directs us, how it points us. God, how you know exactly how you've created us and you offer what is best for us in your word. Help us to have ears to hear today. Help us to have wills that would be conformed to your will. God, would your Holy Spirit move in us and change us and use this time for your purposes and for your glory. And we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Hebrews 12, 
says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, referring back to chapter 11, the hall of faith, we have a list of those who have gone before us who have been a testimony of what it looks like to live a life faithful to God, to be used by God, to be, um, to be in the hands of God as they would live their lives. And because of that testimony, we are called to lay aside everything that would get, get in the way of us being able to be faithful to God and lay aside every encumbrance, every weight, everything that's clinging to us, lay that aside, lay aside the sin. And the way that we do us as we, we do this is that we run the race with endurance that is set before us. We use these kinds of words as we talk about the Christian life. We talk about running the race. We talk about your Christian walk. We don't talk about the Christian standing still. Um, and the reason for that is we are to be running, we are to be walking, we are to be moving towards Jesus. We are to be pursuing Jesus. We are to have hearts that want Jesus, that are focused on Jesus. And that's the whole ministry of the Holy Spirit is He changes our hearts to give us a desire for Jesus and direct us to passionately pursue Jesus with our lives. And that's why the, the writer of Hebrews then says, we're not just running a race aimlessly, but we are running, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Now we could almost stop right here this morning because that's the whole point of the morning, is that we want to run fixing our eyes on Jesus. We want to live lives fixed on Jesus. Colossians 3 says, set your mind on the things above. We're to live heavenly-minded, Jesus-oriented, Jesus-consumed. Our attention in living our lives is to be directed at Jesus, to be consumed by Jesus. Our vision is to be filled with Jesus. He is our north star, our destination, our ambition, our intention. He's the, our, our tractor beam. He's the gravitational pull of our lives, the magnetic draw. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So hold that thought for a minute and then look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul spends 1 Corinthians chapter 10 addressing the issue of uh, eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols and addressing how the Christian goes through and sorting that out. And at the end, he concludes and he says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. So we're to fix our eyes on Jesus doing everything to the glory of God. And we want to think through this morning, how do we put those together and what does that look like? How do, how do we live our lives in that way? Well, what are we talking about when we even refer to the glory of God? The glory of God is the extrinsic manifestation of the, worth, of the worth and essence of God. Or in other words, it's the revelation of who God is. So for example, when you see a spectacular sunset, it is a revelation of who God is. That is a part of the glory of God. And the glory of God is all of this that God reveals about who He is and and uh, how we are to understand him. So when we live to the glory of God, we are living in a way that recognizes and sees God in everything that we do, in everything that we say, in everything that we encounter throughout life. So what does this look like? Cooper, Danny, and Aiden are going to help us with that here a little bit this morning. Um, they are going to be providing for us some quotes from various theologians and preachers who have addressed this subject and uh, have shed some light on how we are to understand how do we live a life that is for the glory of God. God's purpose for my life was that I have a passion for God's glory and that I have a passion for my joy in that glory and that these two are one passion. Grace is the pleasure of God to magnify the worth of God by giving sinners the right and power to delight in God without, without obscuring, obscuring the, the glory, glory of God. God. 
Many spirit-filled authors have exhausted the thesaurus in order to describe God with the glory he deserves. His perfect holiness, by definition, assures us that our words can't contain him. Isn't it a comfort to worship a God that we cannot exaggerate? A man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness, 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 darkness on the walls of his cell. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things. There is no room for the great. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. We do not segment our lives, giving some time to God, some to our business, or our schooling, while keeping parts to ourselves. The idea is to live all of our lives in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and for the honor and glory of God. That is what the Christian life is all about. The chief purpose of life for any of us is to increase, according to our capacity, our knowledge of God by all means we have be moved by it to praise and thanks. So how do we do all to the glory of God? We make Him the central component of our lives. We make Him our purpose. We arrange our life around Him. We delight in Him. We rest in Him. We find our joy in Him. We define our joy in Him. God becomes an all-consuming passion in our lives. And um, we, we seek Him in everything. And uh, our, our ultimate expression of that is, is finding our joy and our satisfaction in God above all else. And Jonathan Edwards uh, says some things about this that I think is really helpful and helps to kind of frame how we want to approach things here this morning. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven, to fully enjoy God, is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or earthly friends, are but shadows. But, but God, God is, is the, the substance. substance. These are but scattered beams. But God is the sun. These, These are but streams. streams. But God is the fountain. These, These are, are but drops. drops. But God is the ocean. Yeah, the world is full of things that distract us full of things that vie for our attention. But these distractions are the creation made by the Creator. They're not the end. They're to point back to the Creator. You know, we are, we are hardwired. We are, we are built. We are made by God for glory. We are made to be in the presence of glory. We are made to worship. We are made to exalt in that which is great. There's something in us that resonates with that, that we all, want to, we all want to praise and to applaud and to worship that which is truly great. It's why 
Maybe somebody hypothetically in 1988 might have got a little excited when Kirk Gibson hit a home run in the bottom of the ninth inning to win game one of the World Series, and maybe that somebody might have jumped off the couch and hit his head on the ceiling and just about knocked himself out. We get excited about things that are great and that are spectacular. It's why little girls will start sobbing and weeping when they're at a Justin Bieber concert because they're just so overwhelmed and excited about this this musician that they just adore. There is something in us that we want to worship. We are looking for greatness. And in the world around us, people find ways to express worship wherever they are at. Piper has said, heroes are shadows of Christ. And as we think about that, that that's what happens is that we, are, we replace in our lives heroes. We replace Christ with, with various heroes. And there's nothing wrong with having heroes in their proper context, but they're shadows of Christ. They're to remind us of who Christ is and that we ultimately are to be seeking to worship and to praise and to be excited about who He is. You see, the things of this world that grab our attention are dim reflections of the glory that is to come. They're foretastes of glory divine. So that feeling that you have when you first fall in love and you're so excited and you're, you feel like you're walking on air and you're, your heart is beating fast and the sun is shining brighter and the music is sounding sweeter and you're just excited about everything and overwhelmingly happy, all of that is good, but it's a foretaste of glory divine. It is a small taste of the infinitely greater joy that we have as children of God in the presence of Jesus for all of eternity. So there's something in that that should remind us, this is great, but there's something so much better that is in the presence of Jesus. The panoramic view that you encounter when you might be hiking in the Sierras and you see the mountains and the rivers and the forests and the rocks and the animals and all this spectacular view, it's a foretaste of glory divine. It is so much smaller than all that God has in store for us in eternity. Your family, those close-knit relationships, that vulnerability that you can have, the unwavering, unconditional love of your family is a foretaste of glory divine. It only is better in the presence of Jesus. Your friends, the support, the camaraderie, the understanding, the laughter, the shared tears, the closeness, it's a foretaste of glory divine. We're going to have relationships in the presence of Jesus, absent of sin, where we can come together and worship Him together and be united in a way that brings us together in ways that go way beyond any friendships that we even have in this contaminated earth. It's a foretaste of glory divine. The thrill of the perfect golf shot, the, the, uh, the joy in absorbing great art, the emotions stirred by music that reach deep into your soul, the high you get from a hard bike ride, the peace from a quiet walk, The satisfaction you get from doing your job well, it's a foretaste of glory divine. All of these things can point us back to the glory of God. Your favorite meal prepared exactly right, the smells invading your senses, your mouth drooling and then flavors exploding in your mouth, and finally your appetite satisfied. It's a foretaste of glory divine. Everything that we enjoy in this earth can be a reminder of the joy and the bliss that we have in the presence of Jesus forever. They are to point us to ultimate enjoyment in the one who created all the things that we have here to enjoy. What Jonathan Edwards is saying in this quote that the guys just read is that compared to all that the earth has to offer, the enjoyment of God is so much more. 
When everything that we see, everything that we enjoy, that we savor, that we love, and that we appreciate in this world causes us to see, savor, enjoy, appreciate, and love the one who made it, that is living to the glory of God. Let me say that again. When everything we see, savor, enjoy, love, and appreciate in this world causes us to see, savor, enjoy, love, and appreciate the one who made it, that is living to the glory of God. We see God in everything that he gives to us in his abundant grace, and we see through that, and we see to worship him and to praise him. God is the substance. These things are scattered beams, but God is the sun. They are streams, but he is the fountain. They are drops, but he is the ocean. Forever, my God. From you and 
God leaves us scattered beams. You are the bright sun, leaves our shallow streams. You are the ocean, these are just shadows. You are the substance, we are thirsty, we are dry. Things of this world are but drops, but He is the ocean. There is uh, so much that we can enjoy in God. He is the source of all joy and, and all pleasure, and um, He's the one that we look to. Enjoying God through everything in the world is how we live for His glory. The world is our window through which we look at and worship God. The world is our window through which we look at and worship God. The Christian doesn't simply look at the world, but through it to the one who made it. We use the world as a window. We see all the things in the world, and we we don't just fixate on the things of the world. We look through it and see the one who made it and worship and live for the one who made it. We are a worshiping people. We are called to rejoice in Him. Paul tells the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always, and in case you didn't get it the first time, again I say, rejoice, right? We are to be a rejoicing people. We are to be a celebrating people. We are to celebrate God. We are to rejoice always, and the Psalms are are filled with rejoicing and pointing to God to rejoice in Him. And so this morning we want to draw your attention to Psalm 47 in this regard. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing 
You know, I love that psalm. Uh, clap, sing, shout, stomp, sing, praise, shout, clap. The psalm is exploding with celebration. The psalmist is, is excited to celebrate who God is. That's the focus of this psalm. It's just all about who God is and celebrating who God is. We are to celebrate Him. We're to live life celebrating God, celebrating all who He is. See Him in, in everything around us and celebrating Him. Of all the people in the world, Christians should be the most celebrating people that exist. We have more to celebrate than anybody else in the entire world. We have more to rejoice about than anybody else in the world. We are owed hell. We are owed wrath. We are owed damnation. And we have been forgiven not only of that and rescued from death, and not not only just rescued, but made children of God, made sons and daughters of God, given an inheritance with Jesus where we are joint heirs with Jesus. We have the promise of eternal life. We have the promise of being in the presence of the one who created joy. And we should be celebrating that all the time. We should be excited about that. We should be overflowing with enthusiasm in our praise for Jesus and everything. We should be shouting and clapping and singing and praising. We should just be exploding with joy. We should be encouraging one another as we, as we fellowship together and, and pointing each other to all that we have to celebrate in Jesus. We should be a celebrating people. We should be singing when we come together. When there are words up on the front and we spend something like 35 man hours every week preparing times to come together and worship, it's not for your entertainment. It's for us to sing together, to celebrate together. And then we go outside and you're driving in your car. It's good. Sing in your car as you're driving along. Sing in the shower. You can be like Jonathan Reismuller, who I catch singing all over the place. The guy cannot stop singing. I was driving one day and pulled up to a stoplight over here on Yorba, and he's on his motorcycle. He didn't see me, and he's singing at the top of his lungs on a motorcycle. We should be like that. We should be a people that are just overflowing with joy and celebration because we have so much to celebrate about. We have so much to rejoice about. Charles Spurgeon said, a little faith will bring your soul to heaven, but a great faith will bring heaven to your soul. So a little bit of faith will save you you have a great faith. You see Jesus in everything. You consume with Jesus. You have a big Jesus. You see Jesus and worship him with everything. Heaven will be brought to your soul. There is joy in seeing Jesus in everything. But unfortunately, as Pastor Mike often refers, our hearts are idol factories. We want to worship the creature rather than the creator, and we find other things to celebrate. What we celebrate most is our God. What we celebrate most is our God. When we celebrate anything more than God, we've made an idol. Even good things. Our families, our success, our jobs, our identity, musicians, artists, whatever it might be. We celebrate anything more than God, higher than God, we've made an idol. Matt Chandler says, the universe shudders in horror that we have this infinitely valuable, infinitely deep, infinitely rich, infinitely wise, infinitely loving God, and instead of pursuing him with a steadfast passion and enthralled fury, instead of loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, instead of attributing to him glory and honor and praise and power and wisdom and strength, we just try to take his toys and run. It is still idolatry to want God for his benefits, but not for himself. 
We should be celebrating Him. We have joy in Him. It's the height of sin to celebrate that which God abhors. But our world celebrates greed, lust, self-reliance, same-sex marriages, self-exaltation. So what does it say about us when we celebrate what God is opposed to? When we live for the glory of God, we celebrate Him. We celebrate what He loves. He is the object of our celebration. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and I want to, to look at how we're made to celebrate God at the very highest. Ephesians chapter 1, I think a familiar passage, starting in verse 3, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. This is a passage I come back to over and over again because it's the purpose of our salvation. If you're a believer, the reason you woke up this morning is to praise the glory of His grace. That's why we are saved. That's the purpose of why He's predestined us to be in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. It is the whole purpose of our salvation is to praise the glory of His grace. Your translation may say, to praise His glorious grace. That's the object of our worship. The object of our praise is His grace. And God's grace is most abundantly displayed, most magnificently displayed at the cross. It's on a bloody cross that Jesus displays the grace of God in rescuing a lost people, in rescuing dead people and bringing them to life. Jesus gave himself as a reflection of God's ultimate grace to save us on the cross. And so ultimately our life's direction, our purpose, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who is the representation of God's most abundant grace to us. See the world through the light of the cross. See the world, if I can mix my metaphors, under the shadow of the cross. Let everything be colored by the cross. See the cross in everything. It's going to be your eternity. We might as well get started on it right now, right? See everything in the cross. Revelation 5, the apostle John looks ahead and sees an eternal future of our, of our worship of Jesus. And he says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. The praise and the worship of all of creation for eternity is on the lamb who was slain, on a sacrificed lamb, on a bloody lamb. That's the direction of our worship, and as we worship, we get abundant, overwhelming, overflowing, what we can't even imagine, joy, because we understand the cross. We understand that the story doesn't end at the cross, but that Jesus rose from the dead, conquered death, purchased for himself a people who would worship him forever with great joy. And that's our promise, that we can look to Jesus and have that hope, have that treasure and, and know that we are going to worship Him because of the cross forever and ever. So how, what does that mean as far as how you live life today? 
How does that look like on a, on a daily basis? Well, consider eating an ice cream on a hot summer afternoon and the simple pleasure of, of doing that. We can do that to the glory of God. We can do that to the, to the praise of His glorious grace because that simple joy is a reminder of an overwhelmingly greater joy we have for eternity in the presence of Jesus. It should remind us. Those types of joy should remind us of the great joy that is to come. How about singing a silly song with your daughter when no one else is around and just laughing and having a good time, just the two of you, and that, that intimate, fun, happy moment should be a reminder of the cross. Because of the cross, Jesus has purchased us so that we would be in his presence forever, experiencing a much greater level of joy, a much greater intimacy, a much greater satisfaction in him because of what he has done at the cross. Enjoying music played by our favorite musician or watching a baseball game or whatever it is that we do, when we enjoy something, it should be a reminder to us of a much greater joy that is to come. There's nothing wrong with, in fact, we should be enjoying what God has created as he has designed it to be enjoyed, but those are reminders because they are shadows, they are dim reflections of the ultimate joy that's in him, and they exist to remind us of of who he is. Jesus bore our sins, paid the price to purchase us, adopt us, to make us his own, to give us an inheritance, to promise us eternal joy in his presence. When everything is defined by that reality, we live to praise him, that we're living to the praise of the glory of his grace. John Owen said, On Christ's glory I would fix all my thoughts and desires, and the more I see of the glory of Christ, the more the painted beauties of this world will wither in my eyes, and I will be more and more crucified to this world. It will become to me like something dead and putrid, impossible for me to enjoy apart from Christ. That's what makes the world make sense. When we celebrate the world as the end, we're playing all the wrong notes. We're making music that should hurt our ears, but somehow we call it good. The only good is Jesus. And when we celebrate Him, that's what makes everything right. That's what makes the music sound good. We want to illustrate that for you here in a little bit of a different way. Like puppies are, contaminated desires chase those shadows. And phantom hunger pangs twist our reality. Appetites growing for false food. And all too often we simply miss the substance that satiates our souls. Digging instead for raffle prizes in dumpsters, thinking real prizes will rain down. True treasures are teeming above. But we find our eyes darting downward in their gaze, leaning in, pushing through, gasping and grasping for fleeting pleasures, grunts and groans, cries and sighs, whimpers and wails, all becoming the soundtrack for life, devolving from majestic music soaring above to mundane monotony thumping below, 
From awe-inspiring arrangements to agonizing discord. Dissonance dominates the soundtrack. The tones are toxic. The tonic is tedious. The timber is tiresome. The treble is not in tune. But we are charmed by the salacious. Cherishing the meaningless. Cheering the trivial. We are cheating the king. But if our ears are not tuned to him, we miss the mellifluous notes that ring under the droning chaos. We mistake the errant notes and wayward pitches for beauty. We misaim our souls and misdirect our pleasures. We have an insatiable appetite to see and savor greatness. But we are looking and listening in the wrong places. There, there are sounds that ring and would lead us to sing. Melodies, Melodies that, that labor, labor to bring abundant, abundant joy. But our ears are tickled by these cheap thrills pulsing in a self-absorbed culture. Music that fails to give sensation. Enticing us with flirtation. And the scales spelling only doom and damnation. is the essence of idolatry. We worship the creature rather than the creator. Easily more impressed with what God has made than with God himself. Worshipping that which should be used and using that which we should worship. Simply stated, we are singing a song. But, but the, the song, song is wrong. Until. 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 We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Vision transfixed on the Savior opens eyes to see true beauty and opens ears to hear the melodies from above. When he is our vision, the distraction of the earth's fiction goes into remission. Jesus fills our sight in all-consuming light, making the music right, bringing true delight. He is our qualification. He is our valuation. And for every occasion, he is our celebration. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Nothing shall take his place. We are saved to sing praises forever to the, to the glory, glory of his abundant grace. His grace most displayed with Jesus the betrayed on a cross that he created. To lay down his life, to weigh the cost, to pay for sins, and to slay death. The glory of God is Christ. He is our worship. Nothing else can suffice. The ultimate ovation. He is our celebration. He is our light, our vision of eternity. He is our song, the height of harmony.
when we set our attention on Jesus, everything else lines up. Everything else starts to sound right because that's how we're made. We're made to have our attention focused on Jesus. And when our attention is elsewhere, everything sounds out of tune. It's like looking at a painting up close and all you can see maybe are certain black spots or splotches that don't look very attractive at all. But when you take a step back and you can see that it all fits exactly in the right places in an ultimate big picture tapestry, all the dark spots fall into place. Looking at Jesus allows us to develop perspective to see the whole tapestry. Sometimes we need to look past this present darkness and ahead to the joy that is to come. Hebrews said that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The cross wasn't the joy. He was looking past the cross to the certain joy that was on the other side, and so certain, so fixed was that joy that he could endure the cross. And so, in many ways, we can do that as well. Sometimes we need to look past our trial or our challenge, and we can look ahead to certain joy in the presence of Christ, and we can see a trial even as joy. On the cover of your bulletin, there is a, a picture. Um, I don't know if we have it. Yeah, we have it up here. When you first look at that picture, what grabs your attention is there is a dead tree right smack in the middle of the picture. That's what's in the foreground. And that's what dominates the picture. This is a picture from Lake Almanar where our family travels every year. And the, uh, the dead tree is a reflection of, there was a fire up there not too long ago and, and burned down a bunch of trees. And, and uh, so here you have a remnant, a remaining dead tree that's in the, right in the, in the front of the picture. But you know what? If you lift your eyes and look past the dead tree and beyond it, there's a spectacular lake that I can tell you our family's been going to for over 30 years, and there is so much to enjoy there, so much fun, so much by way of, of memories and family time and enjoyment and just spectacular scenery. And when I look at the picture, I honestly don't even see the tree. It's Lake Almanar. There is beauty beyond what's there in the tree and uh, or in, in, beyond what we see in the, in the foreground. And you know, life works that way as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. We can look past the dead trees in our lives and look ahead to the certain joy, to the beauty that is beyond that. Set your mind on the things above. That's why James can say in James chapter 1, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Count it as joy. Call it joy. Make it certain joy when you encounter various trials. Why? Because that the, t- the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. That's what it, what it ends with. Lacking in nothing. Isn't that a good place to be? Don't you want to be lacking in nothing? Consider it joy. Look past your, certain, your, your situation right now. Look past the trials. Look ahead to lacking in nothing, to being blameless, to being in the presence of Jesus forever basking in his presence, living in his joy, experiencing all that he has, absent sin, without the contamination of this world, we can count trials as joy because God uses those trials in our lives to conform us to Jesus, to bring us through to where we are perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so we can call those situations joy. And so we cultivate that in our lives and we, just, we, we practice seeing everything in our lives through the shadow of the cross 
We see everything in life as this is an opportunity to celebrate Jesus. I want to celebrate Jesus. And we wake up in the morning and we say, God, move in, your, move in me through your Holy Spirit to help me see Jesus everywhere. And then pursue Jesus and be transfixed by Jesus, be focused on Jesus in all that we do. We, we, get, we cultivate an appetite for Jesus, a desire to see Jesus in everything. And then what happens is we just want Jesus more and more and more. Because if you have ultimate earth-shattering joy, don't you want more of that and more of that? And if you become consumed by wanting more of Jesus. So as we close today, we want to finish with one last song that hopefully will encourage and remind and direct your attention to wanting more of Jesus. single thing I had in life to 
gain Christ, it really wouldn't be a sacrifice. My deepest joys are meant to be found in the praise. Singing holy, 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 holy for heaven's sake. I confess this in time, but I'm losing its testing. My heart's exposed, cause it's restless. And it'll stay that way until I find my rest in you. And rest in you is surely what I'm meant to do. Lord, save me to the place I've never been before. To explore realities beyond the metaphor. Now when my faith becomes sight in your presence, Lord, of me I want you Lord more than anything I breathe again cause I live to see your glory God I caught a glimpse and it set me free and now I know that the only thing that could be better than what I've seen is what's in store cause there's always more and you are more This world could ever see Forever I'm discovering Jesus, you are more More worthy than I know Bigger, more beautiful Than I think I've seen it all I know that I am just A child on the shore Jesus, you are In Jesus you are more You are so much more You are so much more You are so much more I want more I want more I want more Well, that's our, our hope for today, that uh, hopefully today we encourage you to want Jesus more. Um, we want to encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And um, as you go today, I'm hoping that uh, maybe you'll be able to do that just even a little bit more. So let's pray this, this morning. Jesus, we are thankful for you. And um, God, you, uh, you have lavished your grace on us in Jesus Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you have given us what we do not deserve and have given to us abundantly, God, that we have a hope of complete and utter and mind-bending joy. And uh, God, direct our attention to that joy in Jesus always and that we would live with that in mind, that we would look and see Jesus and savor Jesus in everything that we see around us, that we would look through this world and to Christ in all that uh, we would experience. And so we pray that you would uh, work in us to be able to give us eyes to see in that way. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.